When we open up our Bibles, we go to the New Testament and we see the book of Hebrews. The writer of the book of Hebrews begins to open his writing with a sharp contrast between angels and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He says of Jesus that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. That's the first chapter of Hebrews and the third verse. He goes on to give further insight into the Messiah when he says of Jesus that he is the express image of God's person. Now uniquely, there seems to be biblical proof that some of God's Old Testament law was communicated not just by God Almighty himself, but also through angels. Now, sometimes when you and I get on the subject of angels, it can get kind of mysterious. Uh, I, I don't wish to be mysterious today. I don't wish to scare anybody today, but I do believe in angels. And the reason why I believe in the ministry of angels is because the Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that. It's in the book of Galatians chapter number 3 and verse number 19 where the scripture says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed, that's speaking of Messiah, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed or communicated through angels by the hand of a mediator. We go to the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 23. And the Lord Almighty speaks and says it like this, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. We begin to see the ministry of an angel. Verse 21, beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. It seems quite evident that the Lord has chosen throughout Scripture, as found in Scripture, various and sundry ways and individuals in which he speaks his word. He does not simply, according to the Bible, just simply speak God himself giving declaration to Moses, but also utilized angels to speak and to minister. You and I open our Bibles and we see example after example, especially under the Old Covenant, of angel, the angel of the Lord coming to people and giving them the word of the Lord. And this is what the Hebrew writer has in mind. Hebrews chapter 2. Would you turn there in your Bible? I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter number 2. And after the Hebrew writer gives this distinction between angels and Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It is in the context of that parallel insight and distinction between the two that the Hebrew writer says this in Hebrews 2 and 1. Therefore, because of everything I've just shared about this 
contrast between angels and, and the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, I, I want to stop here long enough to say this. The Lord wants to talk to us, and he wants us to listen no matter how he talks to us. Amen? Now, I know that maybe sometimes it would be easy to assume that if God would speak to me, he could get my attention. But a preacher? Eh. A scripture that I read on a Monday morning? Uh, I don't know. It's not, not quite as declarative. But if there was a voice from heaven that would speak, that would get my attention. Well, the, the issue with that opinion is that it runs contrary to the word of God. The Lord chose many different ways to speak to people. And the Hebrew writer made it clear. We ought to give the more earnest heed, whether it's the voice of an angel giving a word from God or Jesus Christ himself. We ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time, we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, or to make amends, to compensate, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders. What were the signs and wonders for? They were to communicate God's voice to people with diverse miracles. What were the miracles for? It was God's attempt to use miracles to speak to his people and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Now it is from the first verse of Hebrews chapter 2 that I want to lift my subject today. Lift my subject. Now, uh, if we are, and I almost said a cassette. Wow, that makes me dated. If they are ever going to make, uh, make this available in a physical format, like a CD or a... I, this tells you how clueless I am right now. Let me tell you what they're going to put on the website, on YouTube. That, that's a better way to say it. Here's, here's my title today. You ready? Here's my title. It's very simple. Slipping. Look at someone and say slipping. S-L-I-P-P-I-N-G. Slipping. It had to have been pretty heady for the believers in Ephesus in the New Testament to be the first ones mentioned by Jesus as recorded by John on the Isle of Patmos. When Jesus is writing to New Testament believers to seven different churches, the first church that he addressed were those in Ephesus. They were direct words from Jesus Christ himself. And here's what he said about the church at Ephesus. You have a very good work ethic. You are patient. You have a lofty moral compass. He said, you cannot bear those who are evil. He told them, you properly deduce whether believers are truly apostles. You don't take things at face value. You, you, you work through it. You're prayerful about that. You have persevered during tough times 
and you have not become weary. Now, on the surface, this sounds like quite a great church. You got a good work ethic. You persevered. You can accurately and with wisdom deduce whether someone is truly an apostle or not. You're patient. What a great, great characteristic for a group of people. But as is the case with nearly every church to whom Jesus speaks in Revelation 2 and 3, he ends his writing, his words to them with this. Nevertheless, I have this against you, and here it was, that you have left your first love. You got a lot of things going for you. You got a lot of the positive things on this side of the ledger. But there's one thing that I have issue with. You have left your first love. You got a lot of things that you do well. But church at Ephesus, the kingdom is about more than doing. The kingdom is about relationship. The kingdom is about more than Showing up in the house of God. The kingdom is about relating to this eternal powerful God. You've let your relationship suffer. Jesus does not state to the church of Ephesus. The fact that they're not talented. They're not gifted. And they're not skilled. He he doesn't say to them. You don't remember me. He simply says the relationship that we used to have, we don't have that anymore. You have let it slip. You've let it slip. It's grown cold. You have left it. This word literally means to disregard or to cast away. It's the same word that Matthew records when you forgive someone for a wrong. You are to disregard it. You're to throw it away. You're to cast it away. To leave a first love is to omit, to disregard, or to neglect. Or can I say it like this? It is simply to let the relationship slip. Slip. Jesus makes it abundantly clear when writing to a church. You can have a whole lot going for you and still be slipping. You can have a whole lot of positive things being said about you, but you're still slipping. Your work ethic can be great. Your patience can be great. Your morals can be great. Your steadfastness can be great. But Jesus declares emphatically to the Ephesian church, there is a danger when you start letting things slip. You start letting things slip in. You start letting things slip in relationship. You start letting the enemy get a foothold. How many of you know and have been around long enough to know that the enemy is not in a hurry to cause us to fall? 
The enemy is not in a rush to cause us to fall. If he can insert a little bit of deception here and a little bit of, of, of arrogance here and a little bit of conceit here, he'll just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And I feel a press in my spirit today to rise in this pulpit and remind us we must never let relationship with God slip away. We must never. I don't want any of us to turn around three years from now and look at our life and say, how in the world did we get there? But oh, that there would be a passion and a hunger inside of us that would say, Lord, I want to know you more than I've ever known you before. I want to be obedient like I've never been obedient. I'm hungry for righteousness. I'm hungry for truth. Come on, is there a man or woman in this house you still want to learn something from the Word of God? You still want to walk in obedience to the Word of God? You still want to be righteous? You still want to be holy? Is there anybody still hungry for relationship with God? Slipping. Slipping. Many years ago, my family and I went on vacation, and we took an in-state vacation over to Lake DeGray outside of Arkadelphia and Caddo Valley, and, and uh, we had a great time. We stayed in a, a lodge there, and we decided to go fishing one day, and I rented a, a, a boat, and we got out. The four of us got out in the boat, and I'm not a great fisherman. We got great fishermen in this room. You could tell me anything about fishing, and I'd just fall for it. That's how much of a fisherman I am. You could tell me to throw a hook out there without any bait, and I'd do it because I trust you. We were fishing on Lake DeGray, and um, I tried, I have to be honest with you, I tried to act before my family like I knew what I was doing. And I said, you know, now it's real important we don't get over in these weeds here. Then I learned years later, that's where some of the biggest fish are. <laughs> There's a reason I didn't catch a lot of fish that day. But I took the boat, and we went out about 200 feet from the shore, I said, this looks like a good spot. You know, kind of looking over, going, yeah, this looks like a good spot. In my expertise in fishing, this looks like a great spot, right? I think they're all around us right now. Kind of like an internal fish meter, you know. So we all unpacked our gear and threw our line out there and reeled it in. And I was trying to teach my kids, you know, just pull, pull it in a little bit, reel it up, tug on it, reel it. You got to, like, act like that. That fish, act like that bait, you know, just got to kind of fake them out here. And we fished, and we fished, and we fished, and we fished. I always thought if you fished, that meant you actually caught fish. So I guess we didn't fish. We just sat, and we reeled, and we sat, and we reeled, and we sat, and we reeled. And I was, I was getting a little frustrated because I wanted to catch some fish. You know, I'm, I'm maybe a little impatient on that. And before long, I, I'm fishing or sitting, and I, I feel a bump. And lo and behold, we're, we're in the weeds by the shore. And now my pride is really hurt because not only am I not catching fish, I'm not observing at all. I let our boat float all the way to the shore in the midst of the weeds. And all these years later, after I kind of 
reconcile that in my mind and I think about what the scripture teaches about walking with the Lord and having a relationship with the Lord and making sure that you don't start off good and then you let something slip. You know what I realize more than ever before right now? Slipping can happen without me ever realizing it. I didn't set out to get caught up in the weeds. I didn't say, let's go out here and my goal is that we'll get all hung up in those weeds over there. I didn't set out for that. I didn't plan on that. I didn't want that to happen. And yet, it happened. I didn't steer my boat toward the bank. It happened without me realizing it. It was imperceptible to my eye and my consciousness. Slipping can happen without me even realizing it. In Luke chapter 15 and verse number 8, Jesus is telling a story. And he says it like this. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now when you and I look at what Jesus told in this story, we see a woman with ten silver coins. We might be... Uh, such that we would think, well, 10 silver coins. I, I, I can go and buy something cheap, and they give me a bunch of change back, and I can have 10 coins in my pocket. I can throw 10 coins down in my purse. It, it, can, it can have, But this is not what this story is talking about. These 10 coins had very rich significance in the Hebrew culture. It was called a drachma, and a drachma was a very valuable coin often worn in a 10-piece garland by a married woman. And so when she loses one of these coins, she is losing a bit of her identity. It is something that identified her as a married woman. And now one of these coins is missing. You can see where that would cause her to be more uh, very, very much eager to find this coin. Why? Because it's not just a penny that can be replaced with any other penny. It's not just a penny that you throw away because you don't really like pennies in your pocket anymore, but this is something of my identity. You can see why she takes great effort to sweep through the house and look for that. Why? Because it is so very valuable. I am praying that God will help us, every person in this sanctuary today, to look at our relationship not through the lens of, uh, it doesn't really matter, I'll catch God next Sunday, but rather look at our relationship and say, Lord, this is my identity. This is what makes me who I am in Christ. I'm going to do everything I can not to let it slip. I'm not going to get careless with this. I'm not going to push this aside. See, it is quite possible that the coin was lost in the busyness of life. It was lost in the tumult of schedules. It was lost in the fervor 
of activity. It was lost by substituting other things for the kingdom of God. Let me preach to our parents here today. You are looking at a, a, a father that raised kids in the school system in this city. I know what it is and I know the joy that it was for my kids to be involved in school, in extracurricular activities, in the band, in all sorts of things. But can I tell you something? Let's not be parents that encumber our children with so many things outside of the kingdom that it minimizes the value of the kingdom to our children. There are some things that matter, hear this preacher, and there are some things that matter more. You're not looking at a father that was anti-kids in activities, as long as it was pleasing to the Lord and was not contrary to Scripture. But I never wanted my kids to substitute something for the kingdom of God. I never wanted to foster an idea in my children that it doesn't really matter if you let your relationship with God slip. It doesn't really matter if it goes a little cold or you miss several youth services or you, you go a long time without. Yes, it does matter. Yes, it does matter. I cannot allow things to slip. I cannot allow the busyness of life, and sometimes we have to take inventory. Sometimes we have to have deductions from the busyness. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, John writes and says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it, or the appetite of it. But he who does the will of God abides Forever. What causes a person to slip? Sometimes it's carelessness. Sometimes it's the busyness of life. And sometimes it is yielding to the consistent push of the world. The consistent push of the world. How many of you have lived in this world long enough to know that worldliness never stops pushing? Secularism never stops pushing. Gender dysfunction never stops pushing. It's pushing. It's pushing. It's trying to take ground. It's trying to get a foothold. It's trying to make a way into a family. It's trying to work in a family. It's trying to confuse people. And when we think we got it whipped, it just keeps on pushing and keeps on pushing and keeps on pushing. Oh, I didn't plan on preaching a family message today, but I feel something in my spirit today. Parents, we have a responsibility to make sure that we insulate our children enough that we say you can fight back against the push of the world, the push of the world. Come on, come on. Our pursuit of God has to be 
but bigger and stronger than the push of the world. We gotta be propelling our kids forward. I am not going to excuse or apologize for anything I am preaching. You and I are living in a world that is with everything inside of them trying to snatch our kids, trying to pull our kids away from holiness, pull our kids away from dedication. Now is the time. If you got to get that TV out of their room, get that TV out of their room. If you got to rein in their behavior, rein in their behavior. We cannot allow the world's push. Come on, parents, our kids are depending on us. Our kids are depending on us. Our kids are depending on us. We can't allow our kids to watch people get killed. We cannot. Listen to me. We cannot allow our children to watch all sort of nuanced meanings to morality and get kids confused in their mind. Why? Because over time, it can cause us to slip away from the truth of God's word, the purity of God's word. We must not let this slip. Come on, I'm preaching to some moms and dads right now. Make a bold decision this week. Make an unpopular decision this week. You say, I, I want my kids. I don't want them to feel hemmed in. I don't want them to feel like I'm, I'm just lording over them. Listen, there is going to come a day that our kids are going to be grown up and they're going to make decisions on their own. And parents, we cannot do anything about that then. So by the way, you don't need to beat yourself up if your grown children, as an adult, made a decision to walk away from God. If you taught them in the way of the Lord, trust that God's going to bring them back. Trust that God's going to let that spirit echo in their mind. But hear me, while we do have our children... While they are in our house, we can protect them. And we must. The press of the Spirit has to be greater than the push of the world. And I'm going to tell you something. Listen. Hollywood does not determine what is appropriate for my family. Say, well, it's, it's PG. It's PG. You know what we've done when we do that? We have yielded authority to the world. We have let the world decide what is best There is a consistent push. So we must push back more firm than that push. 2 Timothy chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 9. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. When you and I look into Thessalonica, we will find that it was a wealthy port city with lots of modern options. 
in that part of the world at that time, it was glitzy and it was glamorous. The testimony, the biography written by the Apostle Paul is that Demas, one of his partners in ministry, left for Thessalonica. He left for something a little more glitzy and a little more glamorous, a little more popular, a little more in tune with the world. He got distracted from what truly matters. Will you hear the heart of this preacher right now? I have never, ever, the first time, regretted a decision that I have made, and I have not been perfect, but I have never regretted a decision that I made to be more conservative than the world. Never. Hear me right now. Not one time. I've never regretted a decision to draw a line further back from where the world is. I've never regretted that. I've never wished that I had not made that decision. And I think it's very important that we abide by the precepts of Scripture, the, the declared things of Scripture, and the principles of the Word of God. We must base our life on that Bible. But I have never regretted pushing it back because I don't want to get enamored Don't trust the devil. I do not trust the world. John said it like this. We read it. Don't be in love with the world, the arrangement of the world. Because he said, if you have that as your love, the love of the Father, it's not in you. We can let things slip by distraction. Look at someone and say, don't be distracted. Look at this pastor. Everybody that calls this your home church and our guests, our sweet guests that are here. It is way too late in this thing to be distracted right now. I don't want my kids to miss out on heaven. I don't want your kids to miss out on heaven. If it takes a preacher standing up in front of you waving and saying, don't go the way of the world. Don't go the way of the world. Don't watch that. Don't get yourself in that. Don't go near that. If you, if you can get this visual right here, I probably should have got up there so you can see me better. But there's a preacher standing up in front of you right now. That's saying, hey, you can let it slip if you're not careful. You're not preaching to myself right now. I can let it slip if I'm not careful. It can happen without us even knowing it. And I do not want us to turn around. I do not want your family to turn around after making some careless decisions, some quick decisions, some flippant decisions, three, four, five years from now, and be so enshackled. I've made so many bad decisions. How could I ever come back to God? I don't want that. And so I must, in this sermon today, also communicate. It's imperative that I communicate that the only thing that can keep us 
from slipping is an anchor. It's the only thing. We were out in the, the lake there on DeGray, and I told you about us fishing there, and I didn't know the boat had an anchor. I probably should have figured that out before I got out there. But we kept pushing out and floating back in, pushing out and floating back in, pushing out. It was like I was getting frustrated. Inside, inside, I was going, can the lake just stop for a minute? Let me ask you a question. I'm not trying to be funny. Have you all ever lived in this world long enough that you thought to yourself, I wish this onslaught would just stop for a little bit? In the last 15, 20 years, it's been on a warp speed to where what used to be moral is now highly immoral in most people's eyes. What used to be normal Judeo-Christian values is now intolerance. We're on a warp speed, folks, away from God, away from godliness, away from holiness, away from righteousness. And so I got tired of just going back to the weeds. And so I started looking around. I started picking up chairs. And there was a little area of a seating area in the back, and it had a little door. And it was like, have you ever had one of those moments when you go, I wonder what's in here? I was in that mode. And I picked up that, that door and opened up. And sure enough, there's an anchor. And I thought, well, praise the Lord. We might have a solution to our problem here. And so I, I made sure that we got out far enough from the shore before you dropped the anchor. That's good preaching right there. I made sure we weren't up in the weeds where you get hung up time after time after. But way out in the, in 200 feet out from the shore, and I dropped the anchor. And the most marvelous thing happened. We stayed right there. I remember looking at my kids saying, isn't this awesome? My kids gave me a look like, yeah, Dad, only you would be excited about an anchor. Give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time you let them slip. We understand the meaning of this when we realize that there was a bombardment of people called Judaizers at that time that the book of Hebrews was written. And the writer is trying to get New Testament Holy Ghost filled believers to drop an anchor in grace. And say, we're not going back under the law of Moses. Because Judaizers wanted Holy Ghost filled people to go back under the law of Moses and abide by the customs of the law of Moses. But Jesus did not come to destroy that law. He came to fulfill that law. And it's as though the Hebrew writer says, right when you get to grace and right when you get to relationship with Jesus, drop an anchor right there. And it doesn't matter what pushes against you. It doesn't matter what Judaizers rise against you. It doesn't matter what distractions come against you. You will stay sure. It's an anchor. 
why Paul said to the Corinthians, moreover, brethren, 15 and 1, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word that I have preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. Dads, we need to grab a hold of this gospel and hang on to it with all of our heart. We got to, moms, we got to grab a hold of this Bible and hang on to the Word of God with everything inside of us. When the torrent gets coming, when the waves start crashing, when the wind starts blowing and we're being tossed back and forth, it's the Word of God. It's the anchor of the Word of God that's going to keep us and keep us safe and keep us secure. We must have an anchor. We must. We've got to have an anchor to keep us from slipping. It's got to be part of who we are. Paul went on. He went on to every church nearly that he talked to in the New Testament. He said, told the Thessalonians, test all things and hold fast that which is good. He told Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The Hebrew writer went on to declare it. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. I love what Jesus said in the final few words of scripture. When he wrote to a New Testament church. Everybody say that's us. He said behold. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The grass will wither and the flower will fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's stand together. Praise God. Slipping. Let me ask some questions today and I, I can't answer these questions I can answer them for me but I can't answer them for anybody in this house except me but I ask some questions today for those of you born again of water and spirit how close are you to the Lord right now are you closer than you've ever been or have some things slipped those of you that are guests here, let me ask you a question. What is it about the culture that is consistently pushing against you? Let me just tell you, you made the right decision to be in the house of God today. Because in the last few sacred moments, with God's help, we've given the word of God that can become an anchor this week for your soul. You do not have to keep slipping.
Listen to this preacher. I know some of you I don't know, and it's a big, big ask for you to trust a guy you don't know. But can I, can I preach to you right now? You don't have to keep slipping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You can find an anchor for your soul that keeps you steadfast and sure in an out-of-orbit world. Let me ask some parents here. Are there some things that need to change so we can protect our families more than ever before? Let me ask a prodigal here right now. Have you given up on coming back because you've slipped too much? If so, I want to challenge you. You're not too far gone. I remind you what the word says. His mercy, when our eyes opened this morning, was new this morning. His grace is sufficient for us. What we have, the grace that we have need of today, he has for us today. If you've let it slip, you can come back to him. You know what you're doing right now? You're sweeping the house. You're finding the coin. Getting back that identity. Getting back that relationship. This is a personal appeal right now. This is a personal altar call right now. I wish you'd just bow your head with me right now. Close your eyes. Let's talk to Jesus right now. All across this room. Is a personal call. It's a personal call. I've never, ever regretted responding to the presence of God. Come on, I'm preaching to a dad right now. I'm preaching to a mom right now. Today's the day to make a change. Today's the day to step up a little bit higher. Come on, can we do it together? Can we do it together as a people of God? Can we get courage in our spirit right now? Can we rise up and say, I'm not going to let the world keep pushing and me not push back. I'm going to let the push of the kingdom be greater than the push of the world. I'm not going to let it slip in my home. I'm not going to let it slip among my family members. Come on, the Holy Ghost is speaking right now. I know what I feel in the spirit right now. The Holy Ghost is speaking to some moms and some dads right now. I haven't come to beat anybody up. I haven't come to make anybody feel awful. But if there is conviction in this house, that is the mercy of God speaking to some moms and dads right now. If there is conviction, if there's the call of the Spirit. If it's been a while since your prayer life was consistent, come on. Come, come closer. Come closer to the Lord than you've ever come before. Come on. I'm telling Jesus something. I'm telling Him something. On Sunday morning, I'm telling Him something. I'm not going to let it slip. I'm going to give the more earnest heed. It's going, to be, it's going to be ambitious on my end. Why? Because I'm tired of the world pushing harder than I'm pushing for righteousness. Come on. I, I wish, I thank you, those of you that are stepping out right now. I thank God for what he's doing in this room right now. But the call of the Lord is evident here. The call of the Lord is evident in this house right now. Come on. We can't slip. We've come too far. Some of you have seen God do too many things in your life for you to let it slip right now. Come on, come on. Let the Lord speak right now. Let the Lord deal with you right now. Let the Lord's Spirit baptize you with new, fresh hope right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This is an altar call for you to pull that son close. This is an altar call for you to pull that daughter close. This is an altar call for you to pull that spouse close. Whether you prayed it one time or you've never prayed it before. You've prayed it a hundred times. We're going to be holy. We're going to be righteous. We're going to push back against the world. We're not going to let offense come in our spirit. 
We're not going to let bitterness come in our spirit. I will push back. I will not let my relationship slip. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Come on. Someone get passionate with the Lord right now. Woo. Hallelujah. Keep us pure, Lord. Don't let me love the arrangement of the world, Lord. Don't let me love the arrangement of the world. Come on, somebody, you can repent right now. You can cry some hot tears and say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to the altar. I'm coming back to the place of repentance. I'm coming back to the place of forgiveness right now. Come on, prodigal, you can come home today. You can come home in this house right now. You can find victory again. You can find mercy again. You can find grace again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. The Lord's taking us back right now. The Lord's calling for a prodigal right now. The Lord's calling for somebody. Come on, we can push it up. We can push it away again. But his call is in this house. His call is in this house today. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. It's a personal call. It's a personal call. I must not let my relationship slip. Praise God. Praise God.